Thou gave thy sons without a sigh Michigan, my Michigan And sent thy bravest forth to die Michigan, my Michigan Beneath a hostile southern sky They bore thy banner proud and high Ready to fight and never to fly Michigan, my Michigan Well, this has been another crazy week. It's just, I'm now I'm just a broken record every, every weekend. Well, we just got through another crazy week. <laughs> Except it's just crazier than the last week. So how many times can you, can you double or triple or quadruple down on crazy to where now it's not even a word. It's not even a description of what we're going through. This whole thing with the Supreme Court, madness, absolutely madness. And him and the Republicans thinking they're going to get away with this. And yeah, you know, they may get away with it. They'll win that battle, but they're going to lose the larger war. The nonviolent war, by the way, the one that we as citizens participate in every four years. Our voices will be heard. They will be loud. They will be strong. And they will realize that they have made a crucial mistake in how they ram through a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. And everything else this week. I mean, the scariest thing, obviously, was Trump just reiterating, but in stronger and more specific terms, how he has no intention of leaving the White House. That he, he does not believe in a peaceful transfer of power should he lose. Well, of course, because he's not going to lose. Because he's already got so many things in motion to um, rig the election. His favorite word. You know, he's, this is what the, brilliant, the brilliance of Trump is that he's always telling us what he's going to do. By saying that we're going to rig the election, What he just has his pronouns mixed up. It could just be... It's just a form of, you know, dyslexia or something. You know, he, he really means to say, I, I am going to rig the election. I am not going to leave the White House. And so, you know, of course, we're all in a panic. And, um, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not so sure we, we need to be right now at this moment because he may have overplayed his hand here. And um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this maybe at the, at the end of the episode today. And I'll certainly talk to you about it in the next couple of days. But I want to get to... We have a special guest with us on Rumble today. Um, it's not James Comey. Uh, it is, uh, it's actually something better. It's the actor who's playing James Comey this weekend on Showtime. There's a Showtime movie that starts Sunday night. It's a two-parter, continues on Monday night. It's called The Comey Rule, and it dives right into the whole kit and caboodle of what happened in 2016 with the investigation into Hillary's emails, she was exonerated. And then a few weeks before the election, uh, Comey thought he maybe should check out a few more things. And, uh, and the Republicans in Congress leaked that to the press. And there you go. The rest is history, as they say. But it's now not just history. It's an incredible uh, new movie uh, on Showtime starring Jeff Daniels, 
Brendan Gleeson, Holly Hunter, um, uh, Michael Kelly from House of Cards, Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I mean, this the cast is so killer. And I'm just very happy to have uh, my friend and fellow Michigander on with us uh, here today. He has been the star of so many of your favorite movies uh, from uh, Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> from the Purple Rose of Cairo to Radio Days, uh, Terms of Endearment, Something Wild, Breaking Away, Ragtime. I mean, this there's on and on. There's three great Civil War movies, Gettysburg. Um, you just go down this list here, and it's uh, it's. But the Squid and the Whale, of course, this is my personal favorite uh, of his. He was in Fly Away Home. Maybe most importantly for me, he played Atticus Finch on Broadway, 2018, 2019. It was. Um, one of the most amazing performances in one of the most amazing productions I've ever seen on Broadway. So fit for the times in which we now live. Jeff Daniels is a fellow Michigander, grew up in Chelsea, Michigan, which is about 15 miles outside of Ann Arbor, which is about 60 miles uh, south of Flint. And, uh, and of course, I live up in northern Michigan now. He's living in southern Michigan. He's also, he created a live theater company in Chelsea, Michigan called the Purple Rose Theater. And everybody in Michigan knows this. These the incredible place. New playwrights get a chance to try out their work there. And, um, and you know, all of us have been there uh, who love live theater in the state of Michigan. Uh, he is he is considered our national treasure, and I'm very happy uh, to have him here on the show uh, today uh, on the weekend of the opening of his latest film on Showtime called The Comey Rule. Please welcome the man who plays James Comey, Jeff Daniels. Jeff, welcome uh, to Rumble. Glad to be here, Michael. So I mentioned in the introduction that uh, you are... The uh, star of the Showtime uh, two-part movie this weekend starts on Sunday and continues on Monday uh, called The Comey Rule, and you are playing uh, someone by the name of James Comey. Explain to us exactly who this is. <laughs> well, for those who are unfamiliar, he was the FBI director that, uh, that Obama, he was, he was uh, appointed by Obama, or Obama you know, said, okay, you're my guy, right. and then Trump was elected, and then, you know, he went up to see Trump and Trump basically wanted him to do things that no FBI director has been asked to do ever that I know of. And right. uh, Jim, uh, Jim wouldn't cross that line. Let's, let's back it up during the election in 2016, Hillary versus Trump at some point early on in the election season, uh, James Comey as the FBI director uh, announced uh, the findings of the FBI that uh, these, the big, Ruha over Hillary's emails and why she put a server in the basement of her home in Chappaqua, New York. And they wanted to know where those emails were because there was all this stuff about Benghazi and everything else. And Comey um, um, said that basically, you know, things probably could have been done differently or whatever, but uh, she's committed no crimes. She's not even there anywhere near committing any crimes and uh, essentially exonerated her. Then, and I don't know the exact date, you probably know this, uh, a, a month before the election in 2016, roughly? Uh, early, early October, yeah. 
yeah, early October, James Comey uh, has uh, an announcement to make. And the announcement is that uh, due to new things that we've uh, discovered or whatever, um, we're going to just take another second look at this. Throwing Jason a lot. Chavitz, of- Jason Chavitz was the one who announced it. Oh, okay. So Comey, Comey just sent the letter as required to the Gang of Eight, knowing that someone on the Republican side would leak it, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jason Chavitz, the Republican congressman from Utah, mm-hmm. uh, he decided to make some hay out of this, mm-hmm. and um, and you know Hillary has written in her book, and people have said they think that this is one of the big reasons why she lost, and. I've never taken that position because I've always felt, first of all, she didn't lose. She won. She got the most votes. The American oh, yeah, people, yeah, the American, yeah. Yeah, the American people came out and made a decision and very clearly by 3 million votes said, we want her. Okay. We know we have the electoral college. That's not what happened. But, um, uh, but in her book, you know, she puts a lot of blame on Comey and, and the Russians and the whatever, and I, uh, Jeff, have taken the position since that time because uh, you and I, uh, both Michiganders living in mm-hmm. Michigan, uh, she did not come and campaign in Michigan. She made, I think, one visit, no visits to Wisconsin. We lost both states, and that gave us Trump. To me, that I've always felt that if you want to look for some sort of, I don't want to say blame, but um, certainly when, when I make a bad decision or screw up, I think it's best just to say, you know what, I probably should have, I probably should have campaigned in Michigan and Wisconsin. And, um, but Hillary and others are just are Comey, 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 and Russia, Russia, Russia. So, so you, Comey writes a book, and, and then Showtime decides to make a movie on it, and you decide to play a James Comey. Um, in, this, in this movie that we're going to watch this weekend, how what part of this what part of Comey's story are we going to watch in terms of um his role and non-role and and what and what maybe you know i mean i want you to give away we know the ending it's but, the titanic uh, hits the iceberg we know the ending. Yeah. yes it does yeah you're not going to watch the showtime movie and at the end go oh my god trump didn't win no yeah that's not that's not going to happen but I have a sense uh, um, that uh, there's a, a little more to the story that we really don't know, and it and the what Comey did or didn't do has been simplified into something that, as smart people, maybe we want to take a second look at, especially as we lead up here in the last five weeks uh, to this election. So we know a lot more now than we did then. Let's start there. I, okay. I, uh, I was one of those guys that when, when the investigation was reopened uh, in October into the, we found 33,000 emails. Um, it was, what the hell is he thinking? Yeah. Right. But that was even mild because, because the day that it leaked out that they had to reopen it, and you'll see this in the movie. Uh, Billy Bush's bus ride had happened the day before, two days before. That had come out. That was that was it. Mm-hmm. And Giuliani and WikiLeaks were going to counteract that in the in narrative in the next news cycle by going, we're going to release the 33,000. Roger Stone was on the phone. Everybody was getting ready to do it. And Comey and his people heard about that. So they knew it was going to come out through Giuliani and, the Wiki, and WikiLeaks. I didn't know that. You know, mm-hmm. right, and so right. Jim was what I found playing him. And, and in that that instance and in others, 
he was constantly put between a rock and a hard place. If I do this, if we do this, these things will happen. If I do that, those things will happen. One of them's really bad and the other one's catastrophic. But you have to choose. There were no good choices. That's what I learned. And he kept going back to, and he got, he got ripped on it. He got ripped for being self-righteous and a Boy Scout. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a Boy Scout, you know? Uh, right. Oh, my God. I wish I had, could. I did it this morning. Honest, true, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, yeah. friendly, kind of, all those brave, things. Brave, clean, and reverent. Were you an Eagle Scout? Didn't make it. No, I didn't. I didn't make it. Um, uh, but that's, that, Jim believes in that stuff. Right. And that makes him a Boy Scout. Uh, he also believes, and this is where he found himself alone in, in that October before the election. He believes in the, the rule of law, justice, right. truth, facts, the sacredness of the institutions that, that, that run this country. He believes in doing whatever he can to maintain the integrity of the FBI for those who came before him and those who came after. Those are all things that are bigger than he is. He, those are, it's, it's his, his God, it's his religion, it's, it's bigger than he is. And that's, that his morality might be bigger than your morality. His truth is bigger than your truth, but it's not his own personal. It's, it's him going, the rule of law guides me through all of this because he was getting hit from the left and he was getting hit from the right. Even inside the FBI, they would go, yes, sir, but if we do this, Donald Trump might be elected. And he has to swallow and go, what is, what is the rule of law? What is the right thing to do if I'm going to be? And here's the word that I learned that I don't think none of us or a lot of America didn't have any idea of, apolitical. Mm-hmm. Jim Comey was one of the first apolitical public servants who came forward into the media with his chin out. Mm-hmm. And he did that when he just sent the letter to the Gang of Eight. Chavitz leaked it. Giuliani's jumping on Fox News saying, boy, have we got something you'll see, 30,000 emails. And here's the other thing, because I think you're right. I don't think it's as simple as Jim Comey lost the election for Hillary. I agree with you on Hillary, that she didn't come to Michigan. There were 87,000 votes in Michigan. Right. Democratic down the ballot and the presidential ballot was left blank. They didn't like her. Yeah, she didn't come into eighty-seven thousand of those. She lost, but lost the state by eleven thousand votes. Just so people who are listening understand what Jeff just said, eighty thousand people actually went to vote. These aren't people who stayed home. Went to stood in line for two hours, three hours. It was cold. It was November. Stood there to vote, and they voted for everything from Congress to state Senate down to Register of Deeds, and they left the top box blank on the ballot. Eighty-seven thousand voters on purpose. Yeah. didn't vote. And, and, and the majority, as they found out later, were people, when they voted down ballot, they voted for the Democrat. So, yeah. and, and Trump was in the state going, I'm not even going to bring your jobs back, manufacturing back. That specific job that you lost, I'm bringing that one back. And, and you know, okay, I got yeah. it. I, yeah. I'll, I'll believe you. Somebody's telling me something that's good for me and my family in Macomb County and, and elsewhere. You know, yeah. you got a lot of sure. people struggling here. That's right. Trump was there. So that, week, so that so Jim did that yeah. with, with the idea that, that, that it was going to go. And, and here's where now it starts to catch fire. Here's where the mainstream media comes in. 
Mm. Because when it comes out that they have reopened the investigation into Hillary's emails, as you well know, that's eyeballs, that's ratings, that's a great story. And so, bang, there it is. Just like when on Meet the Press, Trump is calling in the first 10 minutes of the show. He's not there. He's not sitting across from Chuck or anybody else. They don't require him to be there. Suddenly it's call the press (laughs) because it'll be ratings. And I don't blame Chuck Todd for that. I mean, a lot of people are dumb on him. I don't blame it's there's a news director there, you know, and maybe it's Chuck. I don't know. But that those decisions are made with an eye on the ratings. Okay. Well, you guys did that. Um, Suddenly, here come, we're going to reopen the best. That's red meat. That's a red meat story for the news, for the mainstream news. And, the, and you know what's a better story, Michael? She's guilty. They found mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So three days before the election, and here come the results of that reopening, and she's not guilty. There's nothing there. Right. Some of the emails were redundant. They'd already seen them before. There's no story here. Right. They cover it, but it's a little bit like a televised retraction on page four of a newspaper. It's not the big story. Meanwhile, here's the other shared responsibility, the American electorate. This is October, 2016. It isn't yesterday. It isn't last week. It isn't, we aren't as aware as we are now. We're looking at a businessman who's got a little bit of a potty mouth and, uh, you know, and Hillary, Mm -hmm. they investigated her. They say they didn't find anything, but you know, she's probably guilty anyway. He's a businessman, you know, Governor Snyder in the state of Michigan was a businessman. He got in there. I mean, maybe a businessman can help run the state better. Maybe he can run this country better. And you know what, Michael? My taxes will get cut. (laughs) And here's the thing that's going to make it okay in October 2016. Right. Ten people are going to be around Trump to keep him from doing something stupid or dangerous. Pros. Reince Priebus, people who know how to do this. So he'll just help us, you know, pay less in taxes and four years later and we'll be in a better spot. Well, four years later, those 10 people are gone. He's got a hundred people, other, other, other people that he's appointing, including a Supreme Court justice on tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah. so it, there, the American electorate went to sleep. They need to put down their phones, stop, you know, chasing social media and get informed. You need to know more than you did four years ago. You need to be, you need, you know, I played, uh, as you know, Atticus Finch on Mockingbird. And I keep saying what Aaron Sorkin did differently in in the play than he did in the book, uh, than they did in the book or the movie was they got Atticus Finch off the porch. Yeah. Atticus Finch is America right now. The way we portrayed him. He sat on his porch he was just handling land disputes and service agreements, foreclosures, and he was trying to raise two kids with Calpurnia. That was his life. Bob Ewell would walk by and go, we got a lynching tomorrow night behind the grocery store. Are you coming? No, nope, not coming, Bob. I'm going to stay here on my porch. I'm not going to get involved. And, right. and Aaron Sorkin got Atticus off the porch, got him involved. America has to get off the porch. I mean, this is a, this is, this yeah. is. This I think it's equivalent of a modern day D-Day on November 3rd. We already right. got 200,000 dead. So don't tell me I'm, I'm exaggerating. This is a big damn deal. Unless you want a lot more than died royal, on D-Day. a royal right. family, you know, in 2024 and 2028 yeah. with Princess Trump as she's appointed, Ivanka. I mean, that's where we're headed. There's the only way these guys can stay in power is right. to completely just 
take over and steal the election and steal the government. And that way, this particular version of the Republican Party will live on forever, whether anybody likes it or not. That's what's at stake. Wow. So you're taking this very, very seriously. I think America needs to wake up and start, you know, start getting involved and start going, go to the polls, vote this way. Do you want to vote for decency or indecency? Civility or no civility? Do you want to vote for truth or lies? Right. Honesty, dishonesty. It's really not that difficult. And as you know, out here in the Midwest, um, we have pretty good bullshit detectors. Right. And when we somebody somebody's spinning us and marketing us and conning us, conning us, we're usually right. pretty good about that. I, you know, con me once, shame on me. Con me twice, I'm voting for Biden. Right. And I think also, and I've told people this, that those of us from the Midwest, especially those who grew up in the working class, um, all, all of us have someone in at least our extended family um, who has at some point in the past, in, in my case, my uncle in World War II, has given their life for this country. Yeah. And, and to, I already, I've heard from enough people in Michigan in the last couple of weeks to call, to call these people who gave their lives, our veterans, these soldiers, suckers and losers. Um, I don't know if the pollsters or the media has quite figured out just how much perhaps Trump has damaged himself, not with his base. He, that 63 million that came out and voted for him. Most of them, I think, will probably come out again. But, but in this case, instead of winning by 3 million, I mean, Biden has the chance, I think, to win by 5 million or more in the popular vote. Maybe Which just enough. That's what it's going to take. It's going to yeah. take that, though. It's, it's anybody who wants to still sit on the porch, as you put it, um, mm-hmm. is doing grave damage to this country. It's, 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 the, it's the kind of thing like... I, I'll go on a show and they'll introduce me as filmmaker and activist. And I'll always say, no, 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 don't say activist. I'm a citizen of this democracy. That implies I'm an activist. We're all activists. If we all aren't active, the democracy dies. So, so that, that's a redundant word to use. And I think that, that all of us, frankly, Jeff, I, th- I honestly think, and I, and you know me, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a huge optimist here, but I think I think the majority of the people are no longer sitting on the porch right now. I think they are aware. They're making themselves aware. They're, uh, the early voting j- just started well in Michigan yesterday, um, yeah. where all you have to do with our we have a great new voting law that we put into our constitution in the 2018 election. All you have to do is literally just go show up tomorrow, uh, Monday. Uh, whatever at the city clerk's office or township clerk or wherever you live, just show up and say you want to vote. Now they will hand you the mail-in ballot. You can fill it out right there. There's a little, most places will have a little cubby hole or something. You'll just mark it up, mark the ballot and hand it in person right there uh, to them. They have all the, you know, social distancing and safety measures in place. Um, But if you don't want to do that, then get it sent to you in the mail. But, uh, uh, there's a lot of voting taking place right now. I just I saw on the news uh, tonight that uh, there's uh, at least a quarter of a million in the last few days have voted in North Carolina. A quarter of a million have voted in Virginia, and um, 
So I don't know. Do you think I'm sounding, do I, am I too optimistic here that, that maybe? You're the opposite of what you were four years ago. You yeah, stood yeah, in so my you, dressing room at a Broadway show in June <laughs> before November and you said yeah, Trump's going to win. Yeah, I know. I and, didn't want to tell you that. I, but you did and you were yeah. right. And, yeah. and you may be right here. I'm just not going to take that chance. No, you can't take the chance. Nobody, the, the takeaway from yeah. this is not to say, oh, good. Hey, we got this in the bag. You know, back back to uh, more NBA with, without the fans in the stands. You got to go to the grocery store next week. Put on, add an extra 15 minutes to vote. You know, um, here's the other thing too. I, I, I was on The View this morning and, and I'm, I'm going, I'm telling you, one of the most important events to happen in the last four years was the Women's March the day after Trump was inaugurated. Right. The outrage and with Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away and him rushing to get someone in there, woman or not, and have her just wink and go and not that I mean, she's going to be under pressure to deliver for him like, you know, the Bush Gore thing. Right. I mean, the, there are favors to be paid. There are, you know, paybacks and uh, that's what's going on. I think there's enough for people to be outraged. Women, people of color, transgender, gay, you name it. You've, we've got all the outrage we need. Take that outrage and get out the vote. Not just your vote, but right, get right. other people, the people, the old people that can't get to there. And they, you know, just knock on their doors and go, can I help you in any, you know, and people that you know, particularly get, get to people that, you know, going, I'll take your ballot down to the precinct, down to the clerk's office. Let me do that for you. Make sure they put it in the right envelope and all that stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and help, help here. You know, what, what sacrifice do you people have to make? Do we have to make in, in today's America? You want to really knock people's socks off? Bring back the draft. Mm, right. Send their right, kids right. overseas, and then see right. if they start paying attention. Right. You know? Right. Well, we're not going to do that. Maybe we, but something. This is your opportunity. That and yes, paying taxes. That, those are the two things, voting and paying taxes, where you have to either sacrifice by standing in line, or you have to support this country that you keep saying is the greatest country in the world, which it isn't, by the way. Right. Well, don't 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 make me ask you to give your newsroom opening. opening no, no, but speech. and I won't. No, but, I, but, it, but I'm seriously it, it, it though. Going back to that, Michael, because I know, and that, because that, it was so right on. If, and I'm going to put actually, I'm, if you don't know what we're talking about, the very first episode of Newsroom HBO series, Jeff won the Emmy for Best Actor. Um, the, there is an incredible opening. I don't know how long. Ten minutes. A, a yeah. monologue, a soliloquy, a you're in the show, you're giving a speech at a, at a college and, and you obviously go off, uh, off script and just say how you really feel. It's so powerful. I'm going to put a link on the podcast uh, site here, please people, when you get a chance to uh, click on it and listen to this, but go ahead, Jeff, and explain how crazy we are to pay attention yeah. to the second half of the speech. It's not the greatest country in the world. It's the first half. The second half is, but it can be. And that's Sorkin's idealism, and that's his hope, and that's his optimism. All of these people who are outraged, for all of the reasons that we've been outraged, since George Floyd, since the women, since the sky, I mean, the 19, I mean, you Russians who are paying to kill American soldiers, and he hasn't said a word, veterans, generals, everyone has reasons to be outraged. This is, November 3rd is an opportunity for that new America that everyone's screaming about that everyone wants 
The door to opening the, to the new America is Biden and Harris. You can see the next 20 years. You're not going to get everything you want right. by November 4th or even a year from now. <laughs> right. you're go- right. But you're going to start. And I'll tell you how it's going to end. If you don't vote, if Trump wins or if he cheats and he be- still hangs on to be president, it's over. You may as well start learning Russian. Yeah, I um, the Russian part. Yeah, I'm, I'm awful at foreign languages, but um, I, I will agree with us entirely that we are we are completely cooked it's an um, opportunity it is really yeah. and i agree with you michael you feel the outrage out, out there you feel it here in michigan yeah and you and i've talked i still think i don't know if you agree i still think there are that 20 percent in the middle you know i grew up in a republican household and yeah. he ran a business went to church, Your dad, all yeah. that stuff yeah. that Stuart Stevens writes about, and it's all a lie. My dad believed it. Family values, treating people with respect. I remember when I walked in my house at eight, I was eight years old, and we're living in a little white town in Michigan, you know? Yeah. And we don't know. And I walk in and there's my dad sitting with, with a guy named Herbie Pearson, African-American, probably the first one I'd ever seen in my little white existence. And my dad looked me in the eye and he said, Jeffrey, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, Herbie Pearson. Message delivered. Mm. My dad took Herbie Pearson around town, introduced him to all his white friends, as in, I don't want to hear it. Right. My dad ran for mayor. My dad was a mayor, school board president. He led this town. And it was very clear to the people in this town and to me that we're equal. We should be equal. There should be a treatment of people with respect. And that's what we've lost. Yeah, you want to put something on the ballot, put decency, honesty, and respect on the ballot. We need to get back to that. I would think that the president of the United States would have at least one redeeming quality. One. Yeah. And please don't tell me why you're voting for someone who doesn't have any. Yeah. And again, that's not hyperbole either because no, I, re- I, re- at it. I, I if remember if this were a movie, if <laughs> Trump were a movie, if Trump's yeah. America were a movie, yeah. they would go, you know what? Your villain is too obvious. It's too transparent. Right. Obviously, Russia has him by the balls. Uh, he's doing everything he's doing just to stay out of jail. That's what he's doing. He doesn't care about this or that or you or anybody else. He just wants to be reelected so the Southern District of New York doesn't put him in jail for tax evasion, tax fraud, money laundering, racketeering. Pick your poison. That's what's going on. Wise up. You know, a lot of people believe that uh, if uh, whatever, if he steals the election, if he wins it, which can happen, by the way, I don't think it can happen. It already happened. Once oh, before. sure. Sure. So don't don't think that that These guys are happen. desperate. These guys they're are desperate. desperate and, and, you know, and they're ruthless and they're and he's an evil genius. And I've. I've never, I've never wanted to just lay back on the, on the line that, oh, he's just an idiot or he's stupid or whatever. I am, yeah. Well, not so stupid, is he? It seems a little smarter than, than us because he figured out how to win the White House by losing the election. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. This, this guy, this guy, I don't know. I've, I've always taken him seriously. And when he says what he says, he means what he says. He's not just, you know, doing a focus group putting something out there. Uh, he's actually, so when he says that the woman that he's going to nominate here uh, uh, to the Supreme Court, that uh, when he said the other day, yeah, well, we'll need her because it'll be better. Six, uh, six, three vote. We'll need her 
when the election comes there. Well, he's he's telling her right then he's got it. She's got to vote. Comey went through it. Comey sat across the table from him and Trump said, I need loyalty. Whoever this justice nominee is going to be is going to hear that same line. He's warned her publicly. Yeah. He will be loyal to me. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, yeah. I mean, Comey told me when, when uh, the loyalty dinner, um, you know, to your point that he's not just an idiot. Uh, yeah. Comey said, when you're three feet away from him, alone in a room, uh, you see a private menace, a private mm. darkness. Mm in him that you don't see when he's on television and, and, you know, pitching and, and selling whatever he's selling, you know, Brendan Gleason played Trump and Comey rule. And, and I mean, you could see it, that Brendan had it. There was something going on behind the eyes and and Jim was sitting there that day. And he just said, that's you, that's what I felt. And that's what I saw a private menace. He's desperate. He's a desperate man. He's always been that way. He's cornered and, and he's running out of lies. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I did sit, sit three feet from him at lunch, uh, just he and I, and uh, it was at Tavern on the Green. Uh, this is after I came to New York, and I was basically trying to talk him into coming on. I wanted him to be on my, uh, my my show, my TV show, and um, and the first time I had met him, literally, I'm telling this is like 1990. It was at a Planned Parenthood benefit. And I would see him over those first years in New York. Um, he would be at various Democratic Party functions. He would say he voted Democratic. Um, you know, this is how he portrayed himself. But sitting three feet from him there, <laughs> one of the creepiest experiences because it just you, if you have any kind of, as you said, bullshit detector, especially a Midwestern bullshit detector, you know that this is something really not right. Not right at all. It's just a vibe. Yeah. Comey felt it. You felt it. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, um, so can I just talk to you about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Because I, 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 I went to see this three times. Yes, you and, did. I, <laughs> you were, it was so great to see you each time. Well, it was, I, I just was so blown away by this production written uh, by Aaron Sorkin, starring you as Atticus uh, Finch. And um, and a, a, another fellow Michigander, Detroiter, uh, who played Scout, uh, the actress. Celia um, Keenan-Bolger. Yes, yeah. yes. It was so powerful, Jeff. It was so uh, nothing I'd ever, I just hadn't seen anything like this and never, like, how do you, how do you even have the balls to just reimagine and then restage To Kill a Mockingbird? It's already been done. Gregory Peck did it. And yeah, then he, he did it. And then, won an Oscar for it. <laughs> no, he did. And no offense to him. But seriously, I, the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, my God, this is like something that, that is so fresh, so original. Nobody, it just is such, it's so sad because I say this and people are listening to it. Oh, when, when can I see it? Well, you're not going to see it because it was a play. Jeff was Atticus Finch for a, a year plus. And a year. Yeah, a a year. year. Okay, a year. Did your contract you were done at the end of the 415 year. 415 times I was there. I was there. Gosh. You could have come. I was there. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they weren't there. And now there's no way for them to even, you guys didn't make a film of this. You didn't film. You didn't. It's, we're not going to see it on great performances on PBS. No. No. Oh, my God. Well, my friends, um, all I can say is that, Jeff, you uh, you really knocked it out of the park. And. The, the three times I saw it, and I saw it over that year, 
like every at the beginning, then six months later, then at the end. You saw the growth in it too. I mean, we yes, were, no, no. Was, we were, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and sometimes after, you know, into the end of a run, a year long run, it just, it's a, you phone it in, you just can't, you're out of gas. It's you're limping to the finish line. And we pushed the last two months. We were a Ferrari. We were surgical precision at a hundred miles an hour. It was, that's when we were at our best. And it took 10 months to get to that. I'll never, I'll never experience that again. Wow. Yes, I know. But the last time, the third time I saw it, it was so powerful. The tears in the audience and then the utter silence because people are choking. They can't say or do. It's almost like you stop, you, you hear people stop breathing almost. And, 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 and what Sorkin did in writing this, and it's not modernized. It's still set back in the 1930s, the story and everything. Yeah. And it's just the right touch to where um, he does what maybe they couldn't do back in 1960 or uh, 61, 62. But what we can do now in terms of how he, how he just put his touch on the story and how the black characters um, came alive and were, were not just um, props. And maybe that's too strong of a word from uh, the, the early sixties, but Essentially, you know what I'm saying here is that there was there was an obvious effort here to, and you just as the, the people as people would leave the theater each time, how much and they're watching this during the time of Trump, and how it is it's it's all it's like a knife in the heart almost, and of course you know you know I don't want to go to something that's going to give me a knife in the heart, but yes we actually do we do want to be moved. And, and that's what this did. And I just, I thank you for that because it was, it was something that will never leave me. It had a huge impact on me. And, um, it was just, um, I don't know. It's, I, I mean, I've heard you say that of, of your career, this was certainly the pinnacle. Um, but of course this is a career that you've worked with so many great directors my, and I, my favorite of yours and, um, and you probably won't say what your favorite is. It's not really the right thing to say, but, uh, but uh, the squid and the whale people, if you have not seen this film, uh, an early film by Noah Baumbach, uh, it is such an incredible uh, movie about a family. Uh, and Jeff, you are just, you are just genius in this, uh, in this film and uh, very powerful. Um, uh, at the time when you were making this, cause it started out was just a small indie film by an, essentially an unknown director. I mean, was that, Oh my uh, God. Yeah. Was, <laughs> that just was, essentially, uh, it was completely unknown. They had just over a million bucks, which is like a hundred bucks in movie money. And we shot it in six weeks in Brooklyn. And we got to the last day of shooting and shook hands with no distribution. Pretty much nobody's going to see this, you know? And uh, well, we did something good. We hope. And then that was August, and then we got into the Toronto Film Festival and the New York Film Festival, and then Sundance, and then uh, off it went. Off it went. We had the Sundance dream that you probably had, that where yeah. you, you screen and yeah. and the producer's at the back of the room, and he rents out the real estate office on the main street in Park City, and they started having meetings from twelve midnight and then at 12.30, they meet Paramount. And at 1 o'clock, they meet 20th Century Fox. And then at 3 o'clock, they meet right, Sony. Right. And then, I mean, all the way down. And then they eventually sell it by dawn. 
that was Squid and the Whale. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a great film. People have a chance to, to see it. it uh, um, Dumb and Dumber, uh, we've all seen. And, um, and it's, this is the variety of your career that you've, you've, made. <laughs> you've been the star of three Civil War epics. Um, yeah. uh, plus, uh, uh, you know, the, obviously Something Wild and the Woody Allen films and the other stuff. But boy, Dumb and Dumber, it's so, it's, it's still, it will always hold up. And especially during the pandemic, I, I believe this movie, uh, check your residuals maybe in another quarter here because I just got to believe. <laughs> I think they've run out, but yeah, okay, I will. They've run, yeah, but it's just, I just, this is the kind of movie you want to watch right now because we need, we need that so badly. And then I, I so I heard you say the other day that um, because uh, Jim Carrey, he, he was a guest one night on my, uh, at my Broadway show uh, back in 2017, and he said he was starting to write this book. And so this be, this be, he's got this incredible best-selling book out, but the audio book of it right now, it's yeah. not Jim's voice. You would think the comedian, the performer, the comedian would be, yes. would do his own book. And it's like, whoa, what, <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's oh, going no, on there? Dumb and Dumber 3. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, it's, but because the book is so intense and so wackadoodle and so oh it's an acid trip it's, it's you're, an you're, acid it's, trip is right it's hunter s thompson meets alice in wonderland that's what it is it's but except you're in jim carrey's mind i would sit next to it in dumb and dumber and dumb and number two and you wanted him to go you wanted him to start spinning the wheels go take 10 take 11 take 12 go i screwed that up no don't worry about it go you want him to become that comic tornado where he hits the zone and he hits mm. the, the slot and he goes and you ride along as Harry Dunn did, you know, and, and that it was thrilling. And the book is you, you have, he's given you the key into his imagination and they spent, he and Dana Vachon spent eight years on this thing. And it was, it's a great read. It's, it's, it's unlike anything else. It really is. Uh, it's, it's pretty special. It's his words, but your voice that that makes it that takes it to this other level. That's so um, I asked him, I said, Jim, why are you? What do you want? He goes, I don't want to read it. I, I screw it up. I don't know how to do it. I'm too much of a perfectionist. I'm going OK, I'm in. So we did it. But, you know, 15 years ago, Bob Dylan wrote the first uh, 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 part of his autobiography called Chronicles, Volume One, yeah, and, which was that. an incredible book and the audio book is read by Sean Penn. So it's not, it's Dylan's voice, Dylan's words, and yet it's Sean, but, but I'm telling you, I'm so glad Sean Penn did it. It's, it's, I had the same feeling here when I heard that this, this week. So I'm really dying to listen to this, uh, this version. The, the last thing here, are the movies going to come back? Are what's going to happen here? Because those of us who are, who work in this business and in, in our case, with the film festival and these uh, theaters, uh, nonprofit art house theaters, et cetera, what is, you know, it's pretty hard to social distance when you're acting. And, um, you know, what, and it's hard to do it in the movie theater that doesn't have windows that you can't get fresh air in there. It's a confined space. What, what is going to happen here? What is, what's your read on it? Not, I'm not asking you as a scientist or, you know, yeah. uh, your former job as the deputy head of the CDC. I'm just asking sure. you, you know, as a person who cares deeply about film, as our sort of, uh, you know, it's our, it's our no, offense, no offense to the French, but it's our national art form. You know, we've, we're a young country, so we've, our contributions to art have been jazz and the movies. And um, um, 
what's going to happen, Jeff? Well, uh, the making of movies, I think, will come back. Um, you know, this is, we got on the other side of the tragedy that was 9-11. We got on the other side of the World War II. We got on the other side of the bubonic plate in 1918. We, we will come back. Um, people need entertainment. They need the diversion. They need yeah. the enlightenment when we do that. Um, so I think that will still be, and what proves it is streaming, Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Showtime, uh, Amazon, all that, Apple TV. Sure. At home, yes. That's a, well, that's well, a separate about, thing. That's different now because it's, we, we don't, most people don't need the big screen when they can sit on their couch in front of a 35 to a 65 inch television set with great sound and no no half hour of coming attractions that are really commercials and nobody with a cell phone next to you, behind you over there. Right, right, you know, right. that's, those are problems. And it's, it's been this kind of, we will always have a place to do it. Whether you can go to a movie theater, or a cineplex and sit there with the big screen. I don't know. I don't know. We're getting really used to seeing things at home. Even, even, uh, oh my God, how can we possibly watch a movie on our phone or laptop or iPad? Well, we are. And, and that doesn't bode well for the, the buildings, the bricks and mortar, the theaters themselves. Um, I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. Uh, what I do know is a lot of people are very comfortable not leaving their homes, getting what they need that they could have gotten elsewhere. And that includes the theater too. Yeah. You know, the straight theater, regular theater. I don't know, but I, I, I as, yeah. as an actor, I've, I've loved the streaming end because like with a, with a limited series, it's a four-hour movie. You're not yeah. going to take a four-hour. We did with no. Gettysburg, and we got killed for it. You're not going to take a four-hour movie into the Cineplex. Right. Um, or Godless was seven hours. Looming Tower was, was 10 hours. Newsroom right. was nine hours. That's a nine-hour novel I'm shooting. There's yeah. so much more to play, so much more to do. And, and people can binge watch, and that became a thing. And now it becomes this, that's, that, and all the writers went to streaming. They weren't as right. respected yeah. as they were in the, when the studios went to big, huge, co, you know, comic book movies and franchise movies and tent poles. Jane Fonda told me, go, the movies I made in the 70s, they aren't making anymore. Right. But they're, what they're doing is they're turning in, them into six-hour limited series on Apple TV. Right. And you can get them there. And you know what? We don't have to cater to as broad an audience there. We can hit a niche. That's why a Western like Godless got made. Nobody wanted to make it as a movie. Two hours. Two-hour movie. He carried that thing around for 15 years. And then he finally at last took it to Netflix, and they said, can you make it seven hours? <laughs> and... You know, yeah, yeah. There is yeah. the future, at least for an actor. There is the future. I, I, for a theater owner, not so good. I still think that people are going to want to get out of the house once they feel safe. And I do, um, I do too. And and sit with strangers in the dark. And that's one of the things that made Mockingbird so powerful. Fourteen hundred people sitting there, not moving, getting punched in the face by Atticus Finch, treated like white jurists who were about to, along yeah. with the jurists on stage send this guy to his death. I turned to them and threw a right hook at them. Right. That's a different experience than sitting on your couch. And right. that was why there was so much silence. 
because they felt it. There was a door closed behind them at the back of the theater. Right. And here's Atticus Finch just reaming them out. Right. On a right hook to white America. That's right. Yes. And that could only happen in person like, like that. Yeah. Tonight, um, just for you, I'm here doing yeah. it just for you. That's, that's still special. That's um, still. I'm less. I'm a, I'm an actual human on the stage. I'm looking right at you. Row four, seat five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, no, to see Springsteen at the Walter Kerr. Oh. I mean, yes, at Giants Stadium. Yes, at Joe Louis Arena. Yeah, but to yeah. see him in a 1500 yeah. seat theater on Broadway, it's like he's playing your living room just for you. He's there just for you that night on a Thursday night in a year long run just for you. And you're, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. Shut the door. Start the show. We're six and a half months into this pandemic. Um, this t- Today is actually day number 200 of me uh, uh, in lockdown here in my apartment. Um, and I'm okay. How are you doing? You, uh, you are, I assume, have been not out and about very much. Um, no. there, are you there? You're in your house there in uh, Michigan? In Michigan, yeah, and it's you know we're healthy. We we take as we take. I've taken it seriously. I'm 65. I'm you know I'm 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 high risk. I yeah. I'm, I I got some medical things that make me high risk. So yeah, I I, I don't fool around. Uh, masks and and uh, so I'm I'm thankful we're healthy. Um, that said, it's a little bit like forced retirement for someone at my age. Everything yeah, except yeah. the gold watch. I mean, I'm doing only <laughs> the things that I want to do. Yeah. That's it. I've eliminated the people, the things. Yeah. Even the parts of the business, like traveling around the country to promote the Comey rule. It's exhausting, as you know. Yeah. I've been sitting here in my house doing Zoom meetings and podcasts. It's like gold. You were on practically. That never changes. I mean, it was great. <laughs> well, you didn't need to fly to New York for that. No, I, I have a, I'd be interesting for me to see the things that will remain after the pandemic ends and the vaccine comes and we all get on the other side of this. I don't know when that will be. It could be a year, two years. I don't know. I'm not a health expert, but that's one of the things that the Zoom, we get used to it. We get used to watching the news shows and seeing people zooming from their living rooms. We're okay with it. Just like we're okay watching a movie on iPad. Right. You know, we got right. okay with it. The other thing I really like is live streaming. I play gigs and I, I loved going around the country to play 200 seat clubs. You know, I thought yeah. that's where I'd be. I thought, you know, uh, leading up to newsroom, I thought the career was kind of ending and I, you know, and I was fully, I was happy to walk away from it. I didn't want to do roles. I didn't want to do, and I was going to pick up my guitar. I've been playing for 30 years and, and do that. And then newsroom happened which right. bought me 10 years. But to sit in my home record, recording studio with my two boys and live stream gigs through these venues, it gets the venues some money. And we go, it's like I'm playing your living room. And it's, I love it. I just love it. It's, I hope that sticks around. Go to the live venue, see the artist that's playing live that night. But, oh, I can't. I can't get a babysitter. What, what does this venue have live streaming tonight? Oh, look, it's Jeff Daniels mm. at 7 o'clock. I can pay 15 bucks and see him. Have you done that yet? Have you actually done that? Uh, uh, I mean, I've been doing you... it all summer. I've done like 50 gigs all summer. Yeah. So, live streaming? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's different. Oh, I... It's different. Yeah. No, I have to check this out You know out what? Now. There's a way to do it, too. There's a way to do it 
and, and being in movies in front of cameras helped. I know how to use the camera. I know how to pull you in. I know how to make it intimate so that you lean in to the song and you, you, I don't have to send it out to 1400 people plus a balcony. I'm sending it three feet or I'm right. keeping it with me and looking up and pulling you in like an actor would do in a close up. You learn how to do that. It's a perfect format for me. And I've been enjoying it a lot. You told this incredible story on, on Stephen Colbert. And again, it was so cool to see you from your home. And then, and then when the interview is done after like, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes, then Colbert goes, next up, Cat Stevens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was yes. like, wow, there's a show. Um, yeah. <laughs> I listened to that out, his albums in high school, for God's sake. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it was, but you told this story of how after, after you and, and uh, the other actors, uh, Holly Hunter, Brendan Gleeson plays Trump. Uh, after you all finished, Billy Ray uh, directed it. Um, you uh, you were then told that the honchos, the the corporate heads, had decided, uh, you know, it's best what we don't we don't air this before the election, and so they decided to air it later in November after the election. Yeah. And and you told the story, and you're telling it on CBS with Steven, which yeah. is <laughs> this is the same company yeah. as Showtime. Yeah. Uh, and, and is, do you mind just 30, the 30 second version of that, just to tell people what happened, because this was not going to air this Sunday. This was not, they had decided, whoa, this is 2-2. And uh, so we're moving it to after the election. Why are we lucky enough to be able to see this starting uh, uh, Sunday night here on Showtime? What, tell us what happened. I can only tell you what I know from my perspective, because they kept me out of the loop. Billy Ray, the writer-director, did. Everybody did. We um, shot the Comey Rule nine days after I finished running Mockingbird for a year. I needed to be horizontal for two months. Yeah. How'd you do uh, that? Jesus. I, the, I, the, uh, it, going from Mockingbird right into Comey was like running a marathon and posting a personal best having a glass of water, and then running another one. Um, I, it, I needed Billy Ray so badly, but, and, and he was so helpful. And so you've got him, you've got him. What about this, Billy? I don't know. I don't have a brain. And the first two months were just, I leaned on Billy a lot because we have to shoot it now. They want it delivered by May. So this is and, a year ago, okay. November, your, your film. Yeah. I mean, we were going to be done shooting by February. That way they could cut it, put it together, music, everything, and then deliver it to either CBS Showtime or CBS Access. They didn't know yet uh, by May so that it could be available for airing in the summer or the fall. That's what everybody, uh, you know, and people at Showtime and CBS, everybody was on, on board with that. We finish. And then the last month of last of February of shooting, we were asked to pick it up because they wanted to give Billy more post-production time. So we were shooting a day and a half every day. And that was Sorkin dialogue. That was FBI. I mean, Aaron didn't write it, but it was mountains of FBI lingo and terminology. That's not easy to learn. Yeah. But yeah. we did it. We got it. We got it delivered to him. We wrapped it February 15th. I don't hear a word until the end of May. Not a word. Mm. And Billy says, I need a Zoom meeting with you. Okay. So I got a Zoom meeting with Comey, me, and Shane Salerno, the producer. And Billy drops the bomb. Billy says, well, um, they're not going to really air it before the election. 
they were looking at January, um, December. They didn't want to be involved in the politics of it, which, you know, for all I know, was a legit reason. You know, it's, it's a volatile time. Yeah. It's polarizing. It's yeah. probably bad business in some way. I don't know. It's just not what I was told. You know, Billy didn't sit in my dressing room in Mockingbird and say, I want you to play James Comey and good news. We're going to release it after the election. Mm. Uh, I would have passed. You would have I would have said yeah. we're not relevant. We we would, which is what Comey said. We just we just went from relevant to irrelevant because Billy said I got them to air it the weekend before Thanksgiving. So you know, it's still a good movie, guys, and it's still. And I said, Billy, did they think I was going to promote it? Well, where you're going to get the promotion schedule? And I said, Billy, I'm out. I'm wow. done. Wow. I will not promote this movie. They don't want me in front of a microphone because the, what we were getting, well, and Billy wrote this in a letter that was published in the New York Times and that Viacom, which had merged with CBS, you know, had a couple people, Sherry Redstone and Bob Baskin that were, that were Trump supporters. And yeah. they came into it at, you know, we were shooting, they came into it after the fact and for whatever their reasons, maybe legit in their eyes, they didn't feel it was, should be aired before the election. It felt to me, at least on my side, where I was, that I was being complicit, that I was enabling something that would make it easier on, some, on someone that they supported. Your and I said, you know what, I'm drawing the line. I can't wow. do it. So I, you said that, yeah. Yeah, I said, I'm out. I said, and, and the publicist, and I said, I'm, I don't, not one interview, nothing. I'll leave my name on it. That's fine. But I, I won't say a word about it. You don't want me in front of a microphone, guys. You don't want me because I'll tell you that I'll tell them the truth. It's people got, for whatever the reasons, they went back on the word. And so that's, they should have asked me. You should have, but that's not what corporations do. Right. You ne wow. Billy never had a conversation with the people that made this decision. Still hasn't. And so you're going, okay, if that's the game, then the only thing I can do is cost you money, which is the league where I play, you know, the hardball league, which is, oh, okay, I'm going to cost you money. I'm not in it. Good luck with it. Which, you know, in a way could have been if they wanted to bury it to not upset Trump, then that's, I just made it easier for them. Then it's, right. then it's on CBS Access in December before, uh, while everybody's Christmas shopping, nobody sees it. Mission accomplished. So, so they changed their minds. I, for what, and then, then the reporters started calling and then yeah. everybody's sniffing around and all, and you know, and all I said was, you know, I'm not promoting it. That's all I'm doing. That's it. Don't talk to me. I'm not in it. Wow. If they change the air date, absolutely. I'm in it. I'm proud of it. And then the air date changes. And it changed. And not just because of me by any, yeah. no, no, I understand. Billy had something to do with it. And you yeah. know, a lot of okay. people to be really right. fair, a lot of people at Showtime and CBS yeah. were so proud of this and so excited about being a part of the national conversation, you know, informing people on the other side of the Jim Comey story, which is different than we want to, we're a bunch of Hollywood liberals who want to yeah. attack Trump. No, you I know, think Trump, that you, Trump you, does, <laughs> does that all by himself. He's, he's pretty self-destructive and all we have to do is show it. Uh, our, my whole thing was, that's not what you guys told me. Right. And, you know, I'm sick and tired of living in a country where people's word doesn't mean anything anymore. Right. So or I, in this, I in the, and in the ironic case here where you're 
you're having to deal with whether or not should, you know, should this come out before the election or after? Because if it came out before, it, it may encourage people to wake up or get involved or maybe just show up and vote. You know, there's, there's no banner in the movie that says go vote for Biden. When you made the movie, there was, I think, by that at that point, there, everyone was pretty much convinced Biden would not be the candidate. So there's nothing about that in the, in this Comey movie, but but it's just ironic, don't you think that that this whole thing had to do with just like with Comey, you know, should he release this about Hillary's emails just before the election? It almost feels like a we're getting a bit of a, a do over here, a reverse, where yeah. where where the Comey story now, the whole story, uh, with Trump in it gets to be told to the American people before the election, starting this weekend. So I think that's a gift. And um, You decide. Yeah, everybody well, listening Trump, can decide. Trump's the story is, call me li- call me a liar. Here's the other side. See you on yeah. November 3rd. You decide. See you on November 3rd. That's all we wanted. And that's all everyone was going through. And then, you know, and then it got political at a corporate level of which I was supposed to just go along as a good corporate soldier. Most people, most people do, Jeff. And this is what's so the the part of you that is just like for you just to share that story, to give the public a peek behind the the curtain of how the sausage gets made in our industry. It's it's a it's a it's a brave thing to do. You don't have to do that. You can be silent and not tell us. And again, Michael, I think there were a lot of people at Showtime and CBS that weren't in a position to do what Billy did and what I also did by sure, just saying sure. I'll promote it. I mean, they, you know, they've got jobs, they've got, uh, that, that, that's, you know, and it's just another TV show in, in a career that they hope they can stay there another 12 years. So, you know, that stuff. And, and I respect that. And so I was more than happy to take a stand and, and Billy certainly did. And, uh, you know, if it didn't work, then, you know, I didn't have to promote it. Uh, but if it does, then I'm happy to. And I, and here's the other thing. It didn't, it, it was good. It was really good. It was great. Even, you know, the performances and the writing and, and yeah, the, what this is, is something you're really proud of. Well, it just, sometimes they aren't. Sometimes you make a movie and it just sucks and it's mediocre and you still have to sell it. And, and, and if that were the case on this, if, if it were like, oh, my God, Brendan Gleeson, what a Trump, Holly Hunter, Michael Kelly, incredible actors, except for Mr. Daniels, who fails miserably portraying James Cohn. You know, it could have been that. Right. None of that. It was across the board. This is an important drama and an important time in our country's history. And that was worth fighting for. Jeff, thank you. Um, for sharing that with us. And uh, thank you for making this film. Uh, The Comey Rule uh, starts um, Sunday night here on Showtime and and continues on Monday night. And I believe it'll be on Showtime uh, throughout the month. Um, And so you'll have other chances to see it or you can go on on demand on Showtime and uh, and see it there. But um, uh, my thanks to you and thanks for all the work that you've done over the years. Thanks for supporting our film festival up in Northern Michigan um, and uh, and just being the all-around good guy that you are. November 3rd is such yeah. an opportunity. Such an opportunity. It's like a perfect storm, like the perfect storm for Trump to get elected. This is the perfect storm for a new America to take its first huge step. Yeah, This really could be the end of this Republican Party, this graft, this corruption, this whiteness. This could be the thing that that truly does, as Aaron Sorkin writes, 
make it a great country. And when we solve some of these issues, like systemic racism, uh, health care, hunger, yeah. all that stuff, yeah. okay, then we can tell the world we're the greatest country in the world, not before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right on. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Anyways. Thank all right. you. Take care, Michael. Thank you, my brother. Love See you. Ya. All right. Bye-bye. Love you, too. See ya. Uh, bye-bye. Well, that was, uh, that was great uh, talking to my old friend there. Jeff Daniels. Hey, um, I'm, I want to talk about what's going on and what we need to be doing uh, right now with um, Trump and company. Uh, but before we do that, I just I want to thank our underwriter. They're called Gabby. You might have heard of them. G-A-B-I. Uh, Gabby, they're, they're like the uh, Expedia or the Travelocity of uh, uh, car and homeowners insurance. In other words, they for free do the job for you to find the absolute lowest amount of money for you to pay and still have the same exact things covering your car and your home. They have this sort of a company uh, motto <laughs> that they're against overpaying. I think we all agree with that motto. No overpaying. The guys that started this, they, they saw how people were being ripped off. So along came Gabby. Most people don't really think about their car insurance or your homeowner's insurance. And then you don't really think about, you don't look back and say, have they raised that a little bit on me or... Um, am I paying for things that I shouldn't be paying for? And then you know, if you had this happen and then it comes along at some point, you, you do look into it and you realize, oh man, I've been paying them money. I don't need to be paying them. And when they find you the policy you should have where you're not getting ripped off, they don't ask for any money from you. They, they take it out of the insurance company by bringing you to them. That's it. So it never costs you any money. The average customer saves $825 per year. On average, last month, I thanked them for becoming a new underwriter. And a week or two later, I got a note from the super of the apartment building I'm in, in New York. So he tells me, he said, man, that thing you had on your podcast about this, Gabby, it's all true. Not only that, I, we save more than $800 a year on, on our car and our, and our homeowners. I said, wow. So check them out. It's totally free to check this out. doesn't cost you anything. It just takes a couple minutes. Go to Gabby.com slash Rumble. All right. Gabby, that's G-A-B-I, Gabby.com slash Rumble. Thank you to Gabby for helping me make sure that my voice and the voice of the people who listen to the show, to this podcast, are heard. Money. Now, you heard when I was talking to Jeff there, I mentioned that I was in day 200 of my lockdown. So it's 200 days. I've not stepped outside this building. Um, this is, I'm, you know, unlike Jeff, when, when the pandemic started, he was already at home in Michigan, but I was uh, working in New York and, uh, I decided I didn't want to get on a plane and fly home. So I'll just, I'll hunker down here. Um, nobody had told me then just how long the pandemic was going to last. So I now know, um, how long I might be here, uh, in New York instead of Michigan, but, uh, nonetheless, um, um, it was important to not get sick and to stay alive. And as Jeff said, you know, we're pretty much the same age and, uh, it's important to be careful right now. And I continue to hold that position. So, um, so here I am on, on day uh, 200. I want you to know that I'm, I'm fine. I have not gotten sick. Obviously I have not died. Obviously. Um, I am one of the lucky ones. I have, um, in, 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 in encasing myself in this apartment uh, on top of the movie theater, which does me no good because there are no movies to go watch. 
I've not been climbing the walls. I got to tell you the truth. I actually, this has been kind of good in some ways. Maybe some of you feel that way that, I mean, a lot of people obviously have to go to work. So I'm lucky that my work is in the guest bedroom. You know, I just happened to built this podcast studio and started the podcast less than two months before we, you know, first started having to deal with this in February with the, uh, with the pandemic. And uh, so I've been able to work uh, from home literally because the, the work was at home in the studio that's in the guest bedroom. That's no longer a guest bedroom. Sorry to all my friends. Um, someday again, you hopefully will come see me, but not now. Um, but I'm fine. I've kept myself healthy and to drink a lot of water. Um, I try to get, uh, I try to get my seven hours sleep. I get it at various times during the 24 hours. I have to be honest about that. But, uh, um, but I've also enjoyed, you know, there's so much in, in my life for so many years. There's been so much noise. It's been nice not to have the noise. It's been nice to have the quiet and the serenity of just being able to think and um, create. I've been doing some writing. Um, I've been prepping some things that I hope to do when the pandemic is over. I've been doing the podcast. Uh, I helped to release uh, Planet of the Humans, which is now, I don't know, it's somewhere over 12 million views on the various platforms it's on. It's uh, I'm going to uh, talk about that uh, sometime uh, very soon. Uh, I don't, you know, we've got a lot of business in front of us between now and November 3rd. But I want to tell you because there's this investigative piece that came out a week or two ago, backing up everything that's in the film, and and then investigating the people that tried to stop the film and tried to censor it and tried to have it removed. It's a powerful piece uh, by uh, the investigative reporter Max Blumenthal. And um, so I'm, I want you to read this uh, piece, but I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to see. I've never met Max Blumenthal, but I'll see if you'll come on the episode here, talk a little bit about it. And then, uh, and then we need to deal with saving our planet November 4th. We need to get right back at this because uh, we, have been, we have been sold out by a number of people who put capitalism and, and profit and money ahead of of protecting the people and the species and everything else that grows and lives on this planet. And I am not going to remain silent about what certain so-called environmental leaders and movements have been doing and how they've been connected to Wall Street and corporate America and a lot of fake green movement stuff that isn't, isn't real. And it's hurt the people who are out there doing all this work to save the planet to try to come up with new green deals and all these things that we need to be talking about and doing. And it's just not been right. And no one's going to tell you the truth. That's this, this movie, you've known, if you've seen the movie, you've seen the truth, but, uh, but very few people are wanting to pick up the mantle and, and say, we have to deal with this. Mike and Jeff and Ozzy, and they've, they've brought up some really important points here. We need to have a discussion, a debate, whatever it is. So, um, we're going to do that. I'll, I'll do something in the next maybe week or so here, but then we're definitely going to get into this after after the election. Uh, the title of, of Max's investigative piece is Green Billionaires, and green in quotation marks as in, mm-hmm. Green Billionaires were behind the professional activist network that led to the suppression of the Planet of the Humans documentary.
And then the subhead reads, the Michael Moore produced Planet of the Humans faced a coordinated suppression campaign led by professional climate activists backed by the same, quote, green billionaires, Wall Street investors, industry insiders, and family foundations that are skewered in the film. Wow. I read this. I mean, my head spun. I, I did not know half of this. And I knew there was something weird going on. And this just explains it all. Um, we got a lot of other stuff we have to deal with. If you get a chance to read it, read it. Um, like I said, I'll do something with it here on Rumble um, briefly uh, in the coming week or so. But we every minute of our every day now has to be spent on Trump removal. Trump removal. Total Trump removal. And that means the Republican enablers um, that have been uh, behind him. Um, it, uh, a story broke uh, right after we finished with uh, Jeff Daniels saying that, uh, in fact, uh, at uh, 5 o'clock on Saturday here, uh, Trump is going to announce his uh, pick for the Supreme Court, and uh, that pick is going to be none other than Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett. If you've read anything about her, my friends, this is a crazy right-wing wackadoodle judge from Indiana who has written against women's rights, reproductive rights, uh, affordable health care for everybody. This, this is just awful. Just, this is like a, a right, right-wing dream come true. Um, not only that, um, if you've read some of the investigative pieces on her, she belongs to some kind of sub-cult, sub-whatever sub <laughs> Christian cult where the men in the, in the group are, are called the heads. They're the head of the family, the head of the house. You know, they're in charge. And the women, the spouses, are called the handmaids. I shit you not. I'm not making this up. <laughs> I know, Margaret Atwood, please, somebody, sue somebody, please. They're called the handmaids. They're, they're saying it like it's a good thing. They're called the handmaids. Amy has seven uh, children, and um, uh, she will uh, keep the uh, Catholic majority going on the court. The the um, on the liberal side now, there's only three justices left: uh, two Jewish Americans and one Latina. Uh, that's who's fighting for us uh, on the court. And they will now have six if this woman uh, gets uh, confirmed. Uh, here in the next uh, couple of weeks as they as they try to stack this court quickly because they know Trump's chance of losing now exists. And if everybody's kind of gotten that message. Doesn't mean that he will lose. Please, my friends, don't assume that. Remember 16. But um, um, we have a five to three court against us right now as it stands. It, uh, if he succeeds, it'll be 6-3. And we'll finally have a handmaid on the court. Wow. She's also, there's something that she's written in some, I don't know if it was in a law journal or some publication, um, 
I don't know if I'll get this before I'm, I'm, I close out and publish this podcast, but I'll get the, we'll get this we'll get to this in the next few days. Um, where she wrote that she believes that the Social Security Act of 1935, Franklin Roosevelt's Social Security Act in the 1930s, is unconstitutional, according to Amy Coney Barrett. Unconstitutional Social Security. Um, when I post that, when I get you, please share this with everyone. Trump's largest demographic, voting demographic, was the over 65 vote in 2016. Now, in every poll, the over 65 vote is for Biden. It's been a complete flip, in large part because the most vulnerable group to dying from COVID-19 are people over the age of 65. And his supporters, the senior citizens and the elderly, his number one supporters, don't understand why he wants to kill off his voting base. But that's what he's been doing. And now, now we're at 7 million. We passed this weekend. 7 million Americans who've come down with coronavirus. And over 200,000 dead. And now this with the Supreme Court. Couldn't wait. They couldn't even wait. Her, her burial in Arlington Cemetery, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is until next week. As, as one person in the White House said to somebody in the media uh, last Friday and Saturday, that after Ginsburg's death, um, Trump was, quote, salivating. So here we go. Um, you know, we have our work cut out for us, obviously. Um, there's a lot more we need to talk about, including uh, Trump's uh, trying to be very clear with us this week. Thank you for that, Donald. Uh, your honesty is much appreciated. He has no intention of leaving the White House. He has That's because he has no intention of losing, because he can't lose if he can rig the election. And it's so weird that, you know, that's a that's one of his words, rig, rig the election. But he does that now. You see, you've figured him out by now after four years of this, right? That um, he... He complains about what he says we're going to do when, in fact, that's what he's going to do. He complains about the protesters being violent when he is the violent one, when he sends the troops in to be violent, the police in to be violent. You know, he designates New York and Seattle and Portland as anarchist cities when the real anarchy is taking place inside the walls of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So we know this by now. Whatever he says, it's the opposite, and it, he's really talking about himself. When he says you, he means I. I am an anarchist. I believe in violence. And he has said, he's even said, even about Amy, his nominee, he wanted to get her on there because he's going to need her, he said. He said that publicly. We're gonna, I'm going to need her. We're going to need a 6-3 to three vote to, to be able to win this election. He's already telling her what to do. You know, but Jeff spoke, I thought, very honestly and wonderfully about this dilemma that we're in. And it is a huge dilemma. And even though the voting has started in some states, you can't wait to do this. If you can go in person and vote, my advice is to try to do that. If you can, some of you can't do it. You've got to get the, then you've got to get the absentee ballots and you've got to get them now. Do not wait, my friends, on this. Do not wait. The first thing everybody can do right now is 
um, go on vote.org or rock the vote or LeBron James's uh, voting site. And you can click on a link to check to make sure you're properly registered. Now you may think that you are, um, but you may not be because these systems are run by humans and some are run by Republicans. And so you, you really do want to make sure that you're still on the voter rolls. You don't want to find out on election day or after you've waited two or three weeks and they haven't sent you the ballot and you're wondering why it's because your name isn't on the rolls anymore. So you need to click on this link and they're just going to ask you what's your name, what's your address, what's your zip code. And they're going to, the computer will tell you within seconds, they'll say, yes, you are registered. And in, in my case, like in Michigan, I did this the other day to make sure that this worked and it worked. And it, it said, yes, you're registered and your voting location is fire station number one. <laughs> Cool. And then, and then it had like a Google map thing with a little red uh, circle and arrow for where, I, where I'm supposed to show up to vote. It also had information on how I could get my uh, mail-in ballot. So uh, do this. Don't wait on it. Start right with just, you could do this today. Right when the, right, We're going to be done here in a couple minutes. Just go to vote.org, rock the vote, uh, any of a number of really good sites right now. Um, uh, Vote Save America has got a good site. ProPublica, uh, the news information service, they have a good site. Um, just type in your name, your zip code, your address, and you'll know right now if you are truly registered uh, to vote there. Uh, that's the first step. If you're not registered or if you've moved this year uh, or since the last election, you may want to... You may want to um, register in your new location. Now, listen, a lot of states, the registration is cut off one month before the election. The election is November 3rd. That means the, the cutoff in many states is October 3rd. October 3rd is next Saturday. You don't want to wait till then. Don't wait till Friday. You've got to do this now. Do it now. You can do it online. Most states now, you can you can register online. Many of the states you can register for the absentee ballot online. Do that. Don't put this off. You've seen everybody say, "Have a plan." What's your plan to vote? You got to know right now. You got to decide right now what you're going to do. If you can vote in person, do that. Even you can vote in person early too. Like in Michigan, you can just get your absentee ballot and then fill it out. Then take it to the city clerk. If you don't want to go inside their office, most of the city clerks they've got a box, secure box outside. We can drop the ballot in there, but it's, it's critical that you pay us some attention to this right now. And that, and that you tell your family and friends and, and people that are on your Facebook site, Hey, are you registered? Are you sure? Have you moved? You got to do that now this week. And you've got to, you got to order. If you're going to get a mail-in ballot, you got to order it now. If we all do that with all the people we know, I mean, how many people are in your address book? It's probably a lot, but I don't know. Actually, there's pro there might be more people on your Facebook, but even I, the address book, your address book on your phone, that has everybody's email, right? Or it's got their, their cell number, so you can text them. Take an hour and do this. Just go right through. I, that's, that's how I did I actually did it the other day. I started with A, all right? Here's my sister, Ann. Okay. And I don't make the assumption, oh, yeah, she's my sister. Of course, she's registered. Well, you know, she probably thinks she is, but who knows what's going on out there? 
with all those fires in California. I want to make sure everybody make sure go down and ask all your friends and family and people in your address book. Ask them to make sure to and send when you ask them, give them that link of vote.org. We have to do this, my friends, please. This is so critical. And it's clear now we can't just win. We have to win big. We have to landslide this mofo. This guy has got to be buried. Buried. By democracy. Buried in ballots. The things I've heard this week from people in the know, people on Capitol Hill, Let me give you one. Let me give you one. Um, there's been discussions within the Trump campaign in the White House that um, on election day, Trump is going to call out the federal marshals. In the case I heard of, in this case, Pennsylvania, he's going to send federal marshals in on election night to Pennsylvania to seize the ballot boxes with the ballots and the hard drives for the ones that are electronic. He's going to have federal marshals seize this under the guise of he's going to make sure the election and the votes are counted and it's fair. And he's going to have his federal marshals take these ballots into their custody. That's just one of a number of things I've heard this week. And maybe it's, maybe it won't happen. Maybe somebody is too antsy about this. But I take everything seriously now. I don't, when I hear, when people tell me things, especially people who are working in our government, who are trying to work on our behalf, I take them very seriously. Just as seriously as I take Donald J. Trump. Because he ain't lying when he says what he's going to do. One step at a time, though, my friends. Don't be paralyzed with fear. Trust in some things that you know are true. Number one, there are more of us than there are of them by a long shot. We have more people come out for our side in the midterms in, in 2018 than they could ever even dream of having come out for them. This country has changed. The majority of Americans take the democratic position on just about every single issue. They take the progressive position when it comes to things like climate and choice and um, a living wage, not being in debt for the rest of your life because you want to go to college. The majority of the American people are with us on all these things. And Trump knows it, and the Republicans know it, and they know this is the only possible way to win, is to fix it, is to rig it, is to cheat is to seize power. I know, don't be paralyzed by this. Act. And the best action you can take right now is he needs a tsunami of voters voting him out over these next weeks. We got to get people registered, re-registered. We've got to help them get their mail-in ballots, their absentee ballots, We've got to help them get to the polls on election day. We've got to help them get to the polls during all these days that you can go and vote now in person. Many, many states now, you can do this 
over these next number of weeks. But if you're not registered, depending on what date it is in your state, October 3rd in many states, next Saturday, October 5th, Monday, that Monday after the Saturday, that's the closing date for registration in many states. Some states it's October 19th. It's a little better. Some states it's the Friday before the election. Don't wait for that though, please. Everybody, okay, everybody on board with me here. We all have work to do. We have to do it now. Do not expect others to do that work for you. Do not expect the Democratic Party to do it for you. They're doing whatever they can do. But we already know from Gore winning and Hillary winning that if we leave it to them, we lose. Bottom line. Can't make that up because I have two examples over a 16-year period from the 2000 election to the 2016 election. The American people spoke. They did not want George W. Bush. They did not want Donald J. Trump. And they ended up with both of them. The Democrats wouldn't fight for the very thing that they won. So we have to do the fighting. And we have to start the fighting right now by just doing something simple, like making sure everybody we know is registered to vote this week. We do that with me here, please. I know it sounds so simple, but it's so critical. We have to have a landslide. We have to bury him in a landslide of balance. Um, that's it. I think, again, Jeff Daniels uh, coming on and talking to you and to me today. Um, I'll be back uh, to you here in the next uh, couple of days uh, with um, another podcast. So please look for that. Uh, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Uh, share the, the information and the links I provide you here on this page. Uh, send me an email. I read my mail. Mike at michaelmore.com. So easy. So easy. It's so boring. Mike at michaelmore.com. Or leave me a voicemail. There's a link right here on the podcast page. Um, it's, it's a one-minute voicemail. I love listening to them. Uh, I either end the day or I begin the day. Uh, listening to uh, what you have to say. Um, so all you got to do is hit the link and then just talk into your phone or into your laptop, whatever. All right, my friends, thank you to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, and to everybody else uh, who uh, underwrites the show, uh, the good people at Anchor, um, who helped us uh, get started here. Uh, eternally grateful to them. Um, and um, and to all of you, we're all in this together. There's no other way now. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. Let's save this country. And then we'll have some time to get it right once we do that. Be well. This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. And when the happy time shall come, Michigan, my Michigan That brings thy war-worn heroes home Michigan, my Michigan What welcome from their own proud shore What honors at their feet will pour What tears for those who'll come no more Michigan, my Michigan 
grateful country claims them now Michigan, my Michigan A deathless laurel binds each brow Michigan, my Michigan And history, the tale will tell Of how they fought and how they fell For that dear land we loved so well Michigan, my Michigan 